Please remain standing, standing for the reading of God's word. This morning we're in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and was feasted and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able And none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not believe, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So let's pray. Father, we pray now as we look at this difficult text that our hearts will be warmed to the idea of the love that you have for those who are outcasts and those who are rejects of society. Father, may our hearts be challenged this morning. Uh, to see that love you have for them. Lord, and may we uh, be drawn to love them as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When Tim asked me to preach this morning and share with you my desire for mercy ministry, I confess my mind was thrown into a tailspin. I was excited about this because... In, in, in my area of life, this is the area of life that I feel the Holy Spirit has been working, has been working on. And the Spirit has been drawing my attention to having a heart for those who are taken advantage of, those who are poor and those who are neglected by our society. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to, to encourage you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to come alongside us here at Covenant and to participate in the mercy ministries that we partner with. But at the same time, I felt, and I continue to feel, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, very inadequate and, and discouraged because I know that there have been many opportunities in my own life where I've chosen not to show compassion towards those who are poor, orphaned, widowed, or neglected. When we read through the Word of God, it it, it makes it seem like the most difficult passages tend to always stand out to us. 
And so as I was preparing for this sermon, I kept reading and, and struggling through different passages, and all I kept coming back to was this idea of mercy and justice. It's kind of strange. When you have something on your mind and you read a portion of Scripture, you just can't get the, the certain concept to flee or to go away. And so that's, that's where I have been this past week. So before we get into the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I want to be open and upfront with you. While I desire and have a heart for Mercy Ministries, I want you to know that I still struggle on a daily basis with showing compassion to those around me. And so my hope this morning is that this, this message would not only encourage and challenge you, but it would also encourage and challenge me as well. So I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. So in Luke 16, in looking at it, it has to be one of the most gut-wrenching, sad stories in all of Scripture. And to be honest with you, I was tempted numerous times to go to Matthew 25 and look at verses 31 through 46, where Jesus talks about feeding others, and when you feed others, you clothe others, you give them drink, and you do it to the least of your brothers, you do it unto him. But that passage was just as difficult to read and study. Why was that? Why do most of the passages speak of us caring for one another, serving one another, meeting the needs of one another? Why is it so gut-wrenching? And I think the reason why it is, and and it should be for us to, to... kind of be convicted by these passages is because when we read these passages, it reveals to us that God has a heart for the poor and for the afflicted, for the orphans, for the widows, and the immigrant. He has a heart for their sufferings. He cares for them. He loves them. Even if they don't believe, he loves them. We saw in this passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, where Moses commands the people, after you have taken all the food from your field and your olive trees, you leave some behind. Don't go back. Why? Because that's left for the poor. God has a heart for the poor. When we think about God's heart for the poor, it rips us to shreds because it shows how often we struggle with loving the poor the way God does. And as we examine this passage in fine detail this morning, I want us as believers to to be on guard and not let the busyness of our lives drive us to be insensitive to the needs of others. And in doing that, we will see that we're called to do so much more in this life. We're called to do more than work 40 hours a week to earn a paycheck or to buy the newest gadgets or to work for that next vacation. We are meant to live and serve and show compassion to the world around us. Ultimately, we are meant to model Christ. So this morning, I'm doing something different. I have no key points. 
Nothing for you to remember, nothing for you to go back to, because what I want you to do this morning is I don't want you just to remember as you come to this passage. I want you to be on fire to act, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to all believers and non-believers. So in Luke 16, Jesus starts off by contrasting two individuals, a rich man and Lazarus. Now, in order for us to understand the significance of this passage, we have to take into consideration the very minute details regarding both of these individuals. Their name, their lack of their name, their status, rich, poor, the way they speak, if they speak, and finally where they end up when they die. So let's start with the rich man first. Jesus spends a lot of time focusing on his extravagant living. Jesus says that the the rich man is dressed in purple and and in fine linen. And what's interesting about this this kind of this phrase, fine linen, is, is that Jesus is referring to his undergarments. Because he wants you to get the idea that not only is his wealth visible, but he's so filthy rich that his, his, his outer garments and inner garments are both expensive. That's how rich he is. And to top it off, he celebrates every single day of his life feasting on a meal. Now, I love to eat, but I don't even know, I don't think I can eat a feast every day of my life. If he was living today, this gentleman would probably be on the front page of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Because this is how good he has it. This is how good his life is. His best life is now. Now let's contrast that to the lifestyle of of Lazarus, the poor man. Look at how Jesus describes him. He has no home to go to. So he lies at the gate. He's poor with sores scattered all throughout his body. He's hungry. He's desiring just a crumb from the table of the rich man. And to top it off, you have these wild dogs, which in that culture is considered to ceremonially unclean. They're coming to him and they're licking the sores. So not only does he have it bad, but he has it ten times bad than a normal poor poor person. Jesus does not paint a rosy picture in these opening verses. But what is striking to me in these verses is not the wealth issue. Trust me, it's there. We know that a rich man's heart is directed towards his wealth and this desire to live a rich lifestyle, it's there. But what gets me is that the rich man chooses to overlook Lazarus' condition. We know that he knows Lazarus. We see the rich man mention Lazarus by name in verse 24, when he pleads to Abraham to send Lazarus to quench his thirst with just a drop of water. It is as if the rich man is callous or apathetic to Lazarus' suffering. 
In other words, the rich man is too busy living his own life, enjoying the benefits, instead of seeing the suffering and despair of another human being that is made in the image of God. How often have we been blinded by our demands and our wants of our own life to where we cannot help see the needs of others around us? I know I have. In seminary, Aaron and I had an opportunity to participate in an apartment ministry that was sponsored by our church. And the purpose of the ministry was for us to reach out and minister to our neighbors. It went well for the first few months. God brought a lot of interesting people into our lives, a lot of single mothers who were raising uh, their kids on their own. We had a, a mom that lived next to us who had a teenage daughter, um, I had no relationship with her former husband. And in the apartment across from us, we had a woman who had um, a crippled son. He was probably three, four. His name was Alex. Once the husband found out that he was born crippled, he left her. And she was on her own. These are the people that God brought into our lives to minister to them. But as our time in Birmingham was beginning to wind down, our desire to minister and reach out to these families began to slow down as well. We were not as eager to show compassion. We stopped following up on them because we started to see the demands of our life started to take precedence. I began to use my seminary training my upcoming graduation, the birth of my son, Aaron's full-time job as an excuse for us not to continue to do ministry to our neighbors. And today, as I peek at their lives on Facebook, yes, I do Facebook stalk, I think to myself, why didn't I do more when I see that they're still living in the same condition that they were in when I left, we left. Look, I know we all have responsibilities in this life. I know we have to have a job. We have to take care of our family. We have to attend church. We have to rest. We have to take care of our bodies. But as the body of Christ, we must turn our hearts into the suffering of others around us, to the world around us. We have to be aware I think the greatest threat to the church today is not heresy, is not an elite, is a liberal agenda sliding its way into theologically uh, solid seminaries and churches. I think it's apathy. I think when we stop caring, we have got to a point as a church, universal, that we have stopped caring about the world around us. We have stopped participating in opportunities that seek out to make the life of believers and non-believers around us better. And if we continue like this, then we will fail to exist as a church. Why? Because when we fail to seek the needs of others around us, then we fail to represent Christ to the world. We'll flesh, let me flesh this out a little bit more for you. 
You see, I think that our salvation is not just about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is that and so much more. Our salvation is meant to change the way we relate as Christians to this lost and dying world. Look at Ephesians 2.10 where he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Since we are in Christ Jesus and Christ has created us for good works, who then benefits from these for the good works that we are called to perform? It's the world. Galatians 6.10 follows up on this same idea. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see the connection? We, are, we have been made new in Christ Jesus in order to bring good to everyone in the world. So our salvation is not just about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about transforming this world by being Christ to the world. When we do that, we do not only impact the life of others in the here and now, but because of our faithfulness and our desire to show mercy to all people, we have a greater impact on the the life of those to come. In other words, our love and our mercy on this side of heaven impacts the growth of the church on the opposite side of heaven. Look at verse 22 through 31. Jesus moves away from contrasting their earthly home to emphasizing the life after. In verse 22, Jesus tells us that Lazarus has died and is carried up by angels to Abraham's side. And most scholars believe that this is reference to heaven. So we can assume that Lazarus was a believer. But in the same verse, we see the rich man's destination, and that is Hades. And that would be hell. It is as if death has come into the picture and turned the world their world upside down. Before the rich man enjoyed all his life and all that it had to offer while the poor man suffered, now the poor man enjoys a heavenly life while the rich man suffers. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He explains in verse 25 that what, um, why the rich man is in Hades. He says this, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus and the like men are bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So due to the rich man's lack of mercy and compassion towards Lazarus, as well as his love for his wealth, his eternal home is hell. So what then does this mean for us? Well, if our hearts desires, if If our hearts desire the lifestyle of the rich man and the things of this world more than we love God, then that judgment may be for us as well. But I think another way of looking at this in this context, in the context of mercy ministries, is to see it like this. Is that we need to see that participating and serving in mercy ministries 
where we show compassion to others, to the lost and to other believers, we are, ha- we are participating in bringing about salvation for others. In other words, when we show mercy and compassion to others, it's going to have an eschatological implication on their life. When you sacrifice your time, your energy, your money for the needs of others, it may play a significant role in another person coming to faith. Ultimately, God is sovereign, and he calls his sheep and his sheep they come. But a lot of time, God uses the love and compassion that his bride, his church, possesses as an instrument to break down the hearts of stone that the lost can, so that the lost can hear the beautiful words of the gospel. In his book, Get Real, sharing your faith, your everyday faith every day, John Leonard shares his story of a missionary named Joseph Damien who served on the island of Molokai. I probably butchered that, in Hawaii. He served on this island, and on this island it just happened to be a leper colony. And Leonard, this is what Leonard writes about the missionary. He says, When the leprosy arrived to the Hawaiian islands, those who contracted it were treated cruelly. They were, wound, they were kind of rounded up and dumped on an island, on a sandbar that formed a natural prison with the ocean. So at one side, you have the mountains, and on the other side, you have an ocean. So crews of ships would come, and they would just carry, to carry the lepers to the island, and they would make the lepers jump out into the ocean and tell them to swim ashore, kind of throwing all of their belongings at them. Here, take it with you. The doctors visiting the lepers would examine them from far across the room and kind of just leave the medicine on the table, making them wait until they they left in order to retrieve the medicine because they didn't want to touch the lepers. So when the missionary Joseph arrived, he arrived and he found people wanting to die. They were living like animals with no hope. Instead, he washed and he bandaged their wounds. He built a church and he started a choir and helped people plant gardens. He served them faithfully for years. Then one morning when he was preparing his morning cup of tea, he spilled hot water on his toes, but he felt nothing. He then took the teapot and poured hot water over his feet, but still there was no sensation. He had worked with lepers long enough to know the diagnosis. So that morning he addressed the people with these words. We are lepers. He says at that moment his congregation, these lepers, understood the work of Christ in a brand new way. They could understand how God loved them so much that he sent his son to bear their infirmities and to take on their sickness so that they might be made well. In Statutory Hall in the House of Representatives, each state today, 
has the right to choose two statutes that represent the best idea of their state. Hawaii sends two. The first statue is the Hawaiian king, who is believed to be a divine because he descended from the gods in heaven. The second statue is of a missionary, Joseph, in which they saw the divine at work by stepping down into the sin, sickness, and suffering of man. Do the Joseph's love and compassion, the lepers, and Hawaii got to see and experience the gospel at work. And through his faithfulness and modeling Christ, others got to see and taste the death that Lazarus experiences here in this passage. Isn't that an amazing story? Through this man willing to go and to touch these lepers, these lepers got to see Jesus. And no doubt, some came to faith. Now, I'm not sure if the Lord is calling you to go serve on a leprosy colony. But what I do know, brothers and sisters, is that he has, incur- that he has called us and challenged us to see that our acts of mercy are potential opportunities for others to come to faith. Homeless people will want to know, will want to hear what you have to say about Jesus if you give them a full belly. Why? Because they know that you care. They're more willing to trust you and listen to the gospel that you're trying to present to them if they know that you really, truly care for them. I remember the first time I ran into this issue in my own life. I was in seminary. I was arrogant and I was wanting to save the world. So I tagged along with our church ministry, our church men's ministry one Sunday as they went to minister at a local men's shelter. This, we, our church would do it occasionally once a quarter. And as, as I went to minister, you know, the shelter's open to a variety of gentlemen. Most of the guys come out of prison, and this is the first place that they go to. So when I got there, I was all on board. I was great with serving the meal. I was great with, with, um, with doing the, the work. Um, but when the time came for us to interact with the men, that was a different story. A lot of the men that were living in a shelter was released from prison, and I didn't know what their background was, and I was terrified, and I was, af- I was afraid that I just didn't want to get bogged down in the mess of their life. And so I tried the best way I could without being rude. I avoided them. So when the time came for me to give a devotion, I opened my Bible and started preaching from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And I had this planned out. It just didn't, it didn't hit me until I actually opened my Bible to preach it. And that particular passage is the passage of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And that is when the gospel hit me. I was blinded by my own self-righteousness. I was too busy trying 
to get them to believe in the Jesus that I was not willing to emulate. Did they catch on? I'm sure they did. I know I did. But let's hear this because I truly do believe the most effective tool for reaching the lost with the gospel is through mercy ministries. Through showing compassion and grace to those who are outcasts by society. But ultimately, we are going to, we have to change the way we feel and do mercy ministry. We have to change the way we do it. The change is not going to come from a program or a video series or a conference. The change must first come from the work of the Spirit, working in us, reminding us of the gospel. And we see this concept laid out in the closing verses of chapter 16. After being denied water from Lazarus, the rich man proceeds to beg Abraham for a sign or a warning to, speak, to go to his brothers to encourage them to change their lives so they would not end up in Hades where he is. But Abraham responds saying that they have Moses, they have the Old Testament prophets. That is enough to cause your brothers to repent for their lack of mercy towards the poor and the oppressed and their lack of just seeing their love of money. But the rich man presses Abraham again, saying, Abraham, if they do not hear Moses and prophets, their hearts will not be changed. Ultimately, Abraham in saying, ultimately Abraham says this, that even if the dead man was to come to them, they still will not believe. In saying this, Abraham is pointing out that if they do not understand the Old Testament commands to show love, compassion, mercy, to others, then they will not understand the gospel. And that is the same reality for us as well. Because the gospel message is all about a gracious God who sends a rescuer, his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem and grant mercy to hard-headed, unlovable, poor, filthy, screwed-up, prideful, self-righteous, greedy, wicked, undesirable people like us. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. We must show mercy and compassion to all people because we have been shown mercy and compassion by God. The gospel should drive us to want to participate in ministries of mercy because we are products of ministries of mercy. And when you struggle to show mercy, which at some point in our life we will, I do every day, the gospel is a great place to run back to, to refresh us, to encourage us, to go back and invest in the lives of others. For Christ invested himself into us, did he not? Shouldn't we do the same? In preparing for this sermon, one of the most interesting things about this passage was the name Lazarus. Jesus does not tell us the name of the rich man. But he tells us the name of Lazarus. 
And I came across, in reading the commentator and participating in the sermon, I, I came across the reason why, and it kind of floored me. Do you know the reason why Jesus chose to use the name Lazarus? And I'm just going to read you what the commentator said. He said this, Because everyone, including the rich man, had overlooked him. Didn't think of him. Didn't think he was worthy of their time, their attention. But God did. God thought he was significant. So that's why Jesus mentions his name in this passage. Lazarus may not have been known by men, but he was known by God. Because our God loves the outcasts, the rejected, the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the immigrants. He cares for them. And so should we. As a way of wrapping up this sermon, I would like to share with you my heart for Mercy Ministry and where do we go from here. You see, I think Mercy Ministry is not defined nor held captive to a certain political philosophy or or party platform. Instead, I see mercy ministry as gospel ministry. If we are people who love God's word and love his church, then we should be involved in ministries that seek to minister to those in need. Whether it's the poor, the widows, orphans, immigrants, whoever it may be, we need to be active and involved because they are made in God's image and they deserve to be loved and cared for the way we have been loved and cared for and transformed by the very gospel that we are supposed to complain, uh, complain supposed to proclaim to this lost world. That's what we're called to do. So next Sunday during the Sunday School Hour, we will have different presentations from all of the ministries that we support here at Covenant, physically and financially. And I want to challenge you this morning to consider being a part of one of those ministries that we support. Not just financially, but we want you to actively come, be there in bodily form to see the sufferings of those around us so that you can love them, serve them, have compassion towards them, build relationships with them, and maybe even get to share the gospel with them. Will it cause you to take time out of your busy schedule? Yes, it will. Will it stretch you beyond your comforts? Yes, it will, and I hope it does. Will it ignite a desire to make the lives of others around you better? I pray that it does. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the gift of salvation because God in his goodness desired to show us mercy. Can we not do the same for others around us? Can we not sacrifice our money, our time, and our wants to see the kingdom of God grow and flourish? 
It's my challenge to you, my challenge to myself as well. Let's pray. Father, it's hard sometimes whenever we look at this lost and dying world and see that there's so much that needs to be done. We see the suffering. We see the injustice. We see people being taken advantage of. And Father, sometimes we struggle with not having a heart for them. Father, help us. Help us, your people, who have been transformed by the gospel to be witnesses of Christ to this lost and dying world. Help us to see this suffering, to see this injustice, to see people being taken advantage of. Help us to speak out, to come alongside, to love to show compassion, to show mercy. Help us to sacrifice and do what you have called us to do. Mercy ministry, which is gospel ministry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.